We're on Hollywood Boulevard. Hello, guys. How's it going? It's going. Hope you guys had a good fourth. Here we are, as I said, from the other podcast, Back to the Future, um, to talk about some stuff. What do you got? Well, I went to the theater a few times last week, so I'm happy to talk about that. Uh, Tell me more. Well, there's a little play called Hamlet that we saw. Oh, I saw your photo on Instagram. Oh, yeah, you took a photo. Yeah, I Instagrammed it. And this is at the Armory, right? Yeah, the very fancy, very spacious Park Avenue Armory. Um, And this has a fancy person in it, doesn't it? It ha- yeah, it ha- does a fancy person in it. Um, so it's Hamlet, which, I mean, I guess I'll summarize in, in a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's the, probably the big name is the director, the creative force, Robert Icke, I-C-K-E, who does a lot of sort of elaborate adaptations theatrically. Um, but he did this production in London a few years ago, pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it starred Andrew Scott, who ended up then skyrocketing to even greater heights as a result of his work in Fleabag. Um, he was really well-received abroad. He didn't come with it here. Um, instead, Hamlet is played by an actor named Alex Lothar, who I think may be best known for The End of the Fucking World, which is a Netflix show. Okay. Um, and the two shows, uh, or Hamlet is being done in rep here with another production, um, the classic production, Orestia. Originally, a great actress named Leah Williams was going to be doing both. She was going to play Gertrude in Hamlet and also Orestia. Uh, but she had to back out prior, just prior almost, to the show, um, the show's opening here. Uh, so instead, it was going to be Jennifer Ely playing Gertrude. Hamlet's mom, mm-hmm. uh, and another actress doing the Arrestia. We actually didn't see Jennifer Ely. We saw a an understudy, which was fine. But the reason I give a little bit of that background is because most of the reviews talk about how astounding Andrew Scott was in London and how this guy, Alex Lothar, is good, but he's no Andrew Scott. He's not astounding. So everybody is reviewing the show they wish they, they had. Yeah. <laughs> that maybe some had seen years back um, instead of just what is here. That's not fair to Alex Lothar. It's not fair to anyone, no. And it's, it's, you know, as people used to teach criticism, it's also just a plain no-no. Like, you don't do that. Right. You don't talk about, well, I saw XYZ in this movie, but I know if so-and-so was in this, they would have been better. It because been technically, better. you don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Who's to say? Although, apparently, because they had already seen Andrew Scott, they could say, but it just sure. seems like, sure. I'm sure the some show of them, that's yeah. in front of you, not the one that you saw six years ago. Exactly. And the other thing is, some people didn't see it on stage, but watched a YouTube oh, recorded version, which I'm going to say is not the closest approximation of what would have gone on in a theater. Um, my point is, this is not a, a hugely groundbreaking production. It's modernized in a lot of ways modern dress um there's a semi-developed use of like video there's like a closed circuit tv theme that that runs through the production so we're looking at a little bit of multimedia element that i don't think is seen all the way through um 
you know, I think it's I think it's well done. There's a lot of Bob Dylan music that's blasted throughout the show. I don't really know why the choice of Bob Dylan, but okay, fine. Um, I guess he's having a moment with. I mean, I guess it's. I feel like Bob Dylan's had sixty years of moments, but maybe maybe people constantly need to be reminded. I don't know. I'm. What I do want to say is, it's a it's a it's a decent production that I'm very glad I saw. But Alex Lothar as Hamlet, yes, is very good. Who really does play him as a man who is, um, you know, first reluctant, first hesitant to do what he needs to do to avenge his dead father, and then really does start succumbing to the madness people are ascribing to him. Um, I think he's quite good. Um, And I think... Angus Wright, who plays Claudius, the king, his father's brother who killed him, I think is also magnificent. I think the two of them are very good. Um, Luke Treadaway, who I think some people might know from stuff like, uh, well, he was in the British version of um, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, and I think he was the one on Penny Dreadful. Oh, his brother was on Penny Dreadful. He was in... I know the name. He was in Ordeal by Innocence, which was an Amazon adaptation. I don't know if there was something more common. I don't know. He's good. He's Laertes. He doesn't have a lot to do until the end. Um, (laughs) There are some... There are some choices I don't necessarily agree with, particularly involving the character of Ophelia. Um, Alyssa always says, you can tell when it's a man directing Hamlet because they really don't pay attention to Ophelia and what she's really dealing with. Um, And I think that may be valid here. Um, But but I will say, you can probably get tickets if you are in the mood. Um, I think this runs in rep with the Arrestia until mid-August. Uh, but I will say that Alex Lothar in is quite good. He's one of the better Hamlets I have seen. Um, and then I also saw a show at Lincoln Center at their downstairs off-Broadway space called Epiphany, um, which which is set during the Feast of the Epiphany on January 6th. It's a woman in a small town on a snowy night who hosts um, eight other guests, and they're all dealing with uh, a sort of, not a shared loneliness, a, a loneliness that they've all experienced in different ways after a prolonged period of not seeing people. So it's a post-pandemic play that never calls out or mentions covid in particular, but seems to be really applying post-pandemic life to the show. Um, And it's written by Brian Watkins, who has done the show Outer Range, which is also on Amazon and I have not seen yet. Um, But what Epiphany also is, is kind of a modern update of James Joyce's The Dead, which is a similar story it involves you know a bunch of people you know that are all getting together some of the names are even the same the main character played by mary louise burke her name is morkin morkin is one of the names from um from the dead uh one of the other characters who doesn't show is gabriel it's a biblical reference in addition to being a james joycean reference um and uh uh I think the actors are by and large wonderful. It's a, um, 
uh, an ensemble that includes Omar Metwali, who's always great, um, C.J. Wilson, who's done also a lot of great work in, in film and TV, um, David Ryan Smith, Carmen Zillis, a bunch of largely New York actors, um, Heather Burns, uh, yeah. really, really, Gosh, really. I haven't heard of Heather in a while. That's yeah, she looks exactly the same. I hadn't seen her in a while either. Certainly not on stage. She's got to be like early fifties by now, and she looks and sounds like she did in the mid nineties. Oh, and I just put it together. Outer Range is that show on Amazon Prime? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I saw one episode. That was all I needed to say. Okay. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah. I just don't think the play is doing anything. I just found it very derivative. It's two intermissionless hours. Of all these people, sort of reenacting the the crux of the dead, but not really casting any of these ideas about loneliness or existence in a new light. Um, so, as a writer, I'm not really impressed by Brian Watkins, but um, atmospherically, it's a stunning show. The lighting is magnificent. The sound is magnificent. The set design is great. It's directed by Tyne Raffelli, who does a wonderful job. And the ensemble, like I said, is all great. Um, the two names I left out, uh, are Jonathan Hattery, who's like a longtime vet, who does a wonderful job and really gets like the meatiest stuff the closest to the end. He has some really delicate dialogue that he just handles magnificently. Um, and it's only at that point that I'm like, oh, I see some potential for the show or what this playwright was capable of. I just don't, I just didn't get it in the first hour and right. 55 minutes. Um, and Mary Louise Burke is, I don't know. Do you know who she is when I say her name? She's I older. Know, she's she's name. a diminutive yeah. actress. Um, she she's always really short, plays, right? <laughs> she's really short and like always plays women that seemed like kind of like uh, like a little oh, madcap and little untethered. Batty. You would call it a baddie, baddie actor. Yeah, like yeah, a baddie yeah frazzle. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Oh, and she's she, Kimberly Akimbo. And she's the original Kimberly Akimbo yeah. um, from 20 years ago in the stage play. And, uh, and But she here, like, here she's giving a performance. Here she pushes past the shtick and gives what seems to be a really sharply calibrated performance that suggests a full inner life for her character, Morkin. So I actually think she's great. I actually think her and Jonathan... Hattery, Hadari, however you say it, uh, those are both performances that should be remembered uh, come the end of the year, as I would say for the lighting and sound and set. Um, so there, those are the shows I've seen. I know I've left out one name of one cast member in Epiphany, and it's the first time I've seen her on stage and I think a long time. I'm used to seeing her on TV. That's Colby Minifee who is also on Amazon Prime's The Boys, which I know is a show that you have just caught up with this season. Oh my God, that's so cool. You want to know what's even cooler? What? Carl Urban of The Boys was at that show the night after we were there. Oh, supporting his buddy. Yeah, so they're friends in real life. Um, Well, here's my question. Okay, I'm looking at her bio right now. I don't remember who she was in The Pillow Man, which I saw on Broadway. There's a young girl character. And Not that was... younger than Madeline Martin, though. Well, did she replace her? No, she was the original. Hmm. 
I don't know. You would know this information far better than I would. Mm-mm, Madeline Martin was the Because she was the original. Yeah, she was the original. Maybe... Col- no, no, no. I mean, did Colby Minifee come in as a replacement for Madeline Martin? Oh, maybe she replaced. I don't remember. Oh, Madeline Alyssa, Alyssa is clarifying. Remember. She says she understudied. Oh. I could see that. Okay, I could see that. She is really great in The Boys. She is really good. Like, she's yeah, really great she's in really The Boys. She's a really seasoned talent. Yeah. And she's that's, really like that's the thing. The boys is a genre show, but it's got this excellent cast of people that they don't have their resume tattooed on their butt because they come from all like walks of a, uh, uh, an entertainment career, and they're all really good. And she's an example of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. The entire cast of the boys is absolutely fucking phenomenal. I mean, like, I don't think that there's a weak link there. No, I would agree. Um. But, um, so I guess we're just going to talk, we're just going to go straight into the boys this season. Talk about the boys, because Karen, so so they've been dropping their uh, newest season, almost one episode at a time, and we're almost done, but we're both caught up right now, so I figure let's talk about it, because I I still think it's one of the best shows on TV. We're never caught up. I know. You know, this is, okay, I felt like it had a bit of a slow start, like the first couple of episodes. I was actually a little dragging about watching it, and I was slightly bummed out, because I feel like I've just had this string of returning show disappointments, right? Like Like, what? Like, um... Like Peaky Blinders? Like Peaky Blinders, which we talked about last week, um... And last season, Stranger Things, which halted me, mm. which held me back from getting into this season, Stranger Things, although it is much better. I watched the first episode. Um, still need to watch more. But I was like, okay, phew, they fixed. It seems like they fixed whatever issues I've had. And I feel like there's something else where I'm like, oh, my God, stop ruining these great series <laughs> that I love and and it keeps happening so like the first couple of of episodes I was kind of like very lukewarm but th- by the end I am I am pure fangirl all over again I'm glad we I think we were in from the beginning again really because I think I think I kind of felt well, like at this okay. point like it felt like some of the grossness was gratuitous I mean the whole thing is so over the top it, I mean, it defines gratuitous, but it also works because just the whole show knows no. Yeah, it has no yeah. moderation. Yeah, there is no boundaries in the show. Like it breaks every one of them. <laughs> so, I mean, so they the show this third season has really, I think, pushed and like really continued to build where they were in the second one, which is okay. So originally we have these superheroes who it turns out are all different shades of corrupt and flawed. And now they're really pushing it. Yeah. And so like our central anti-hero um, Homelander, I think now has been pushed as far as you can push him, like where he goes from being just an anti-hero to being a true villain. Yeah, I think you're right. So I'm curious to see how they can maintain that or build on that. But watching that journey, I'll use that word, um, (laughs) for his character, um, Anthony Starr continues to be one of the most undersung performers on TV. I would agree with that. Like, he is fantastic. Because he's not being, like, to, to use a term that we use often right now on on the Melrose pod there, he's not being a mustache twirling villain. Exactly. There's actually, you can 
there are actually moments where you're sympathizing with him, where you have an understanding of why he is the way he is. And I also am wondering, you know, at first I was sort of like, how are they going to, how is he going to redeem himself? But I kind of think that they might be able to redeem him at some point. I think there probably is a way. I'm almost at the point now where I'm not sure I want that, where I just want him on those fringes of like being really evil. But here's another thing that I think the show does so well. In addition to, I think, just really good plotting and I mean, some pretty amazing effects. Um, we've talked about this before a few times, but the show does it's so well when we talk about, you know, the villain is still the hero of their own story. Right. This embodies that. It's very this much. is this is very much like like you were saying with the Homelander character, like there's still times you feel bad for him. Like there are times when the bad guy is not getting their way and you actually sympathize with them. You understand what their objective is and share their frustration for not being able to get it, which is not an easy thing to pull off. No. It's one thing to recognize maybe that a show is doing it. It's another thing to be like, no, and they're still getting me. Right. Because the the show gets us in the end every time. Yeah, it does. does. And we're jaded people. So like, that's really saying something. And I think as far as like heroes of the show go, I think the only one that could be potentially be the hero would be like Huey, right? Yeah, like, Jack Quaid's character. Yeah, yeah, like like and and Annie obviously is yeah. definitely like the moral center of the whole show. Yeah, there are there are very few people on the show that are pure. Yeah, in any way, it's yeah. a question. It's a question of corruption. It's a question of how much badness aside basically from them. Yeah, but I do think like Huey is starting to slide into that sort of you know moral ambiguity yeah. um, spot you know absolutely um but but you know but but i do i kind of you know i dig that because even like our you know carl urban who's playing billy butcher like he's not a good guy even though he's the good you guy know, he's like yeah he's he's fighting on the right side for a lot of the wrong reasons and using a lot of the wrong mechanisms okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And then how about the appearance of Jensen Ackles? That was uh, that was from Supernatural who came in to play a long-lost superhero. Yeah. So, I was curious exactly how they were going to work Soldier Boy in and they hadn't used him a lot in the first couple episodes. It's only in the last one or two that he's been really prominent. Um and now I see a bit more what's going on and uh, am, am looking forward to seeing how that plays out. I also think that he's doing his best work as an actor. I um, think so. Do you think the Soldier Boy character pushes him more than a lot of Supernatural did? I think so. I, yeah. I kind of always got a sense watching Supernatural that he and... Um, Jared, uh, Jared Padalecki were just playing versions of themselves. That's that's kind of how I saw it. Which is fine because they were great at doing it. It was clear they had really good chemistry to play brothers like that. The show was that's you know no shade on the show. It was fantastic. It lasted for what seventeen, fifteen or something, or something yeah. like that. Like something completely yeah. unheard of. And who'd have thunk? You know. And I was pretty much all in on that show from the beginning. I think that the scripts were always really smart. Um, they introduced some really great characters, like um, uh, oh, like the devil there. What's his name? Like um, oh my god, now I have to go look all this up. Um, 
because uh, it's been so long since I've I've actually watched. See who was on Misha Collins. Was Misha on Collins, who's so good, and he was, and he really did become kind of the moral center. But they had like Jim Beaver on there, who yeah. was fantastic, and Mark yes, Shepard, who sure played was. Crowley. He played a he played you know a, a version of of a kind of a devilly guy, but it, he was not you know the devil. That was Mark Pellegrino, who was Lucifer. Um, Misha Collins is Castiel. Like they were really really good supporting actors that came in mm-hmm. a lot and, yeah. and were able to kind of kind of prop things up where maybe Padalecki and Eccles couldn't maybe yeah I think it, that, right? that's right yeah they brought a lot of like strong rep players into their yeah because into their thing you yeah. know because I mean what sort of Sam and Dean were doing is they were going out kind of shooting up the bad guys right like that was kind right. of the gist of the show is they were at, you know the bad guys were all ghost hunters or whatever so they would just go out there and kind of like do this actiony thing that would beat up the bad guy right like that's yeah. kind of that was it was like a police procedural but with supernatural creatures um, so that's kind of all they had to do was kind of like kick ass and look good and trade like yeah, quips, that's right? exactly right. Like they traded quips, and it worked great for the show. And it, and I love the show. Again, I'm saying no shade. I absolutely love the show. But I think that I was kind of wondering when I heard that Jensen Ackles was going to be in the boys, where he would fit. Yeah, and I think I had a slightly similar but not completely the same reaction because i was like i hope he doesn't take away from or overshadow what everyone else is already doing because they're doing it so well i didn't want it to upset the apple cart and uh it hasn't and it hasn't and i'm i was actually really surprised by the performance that he's putting in i mean there are definitely moments of him being kind of the guy like you know, Sam and Dean, you know, the Sam and Dean guy, right? But then there are, there are other moments in his performance that feel a lot more nuanced. Yeah, and I read one interview. So there's um, a kind of a reveal in the most recent episode. And I read an interview with him after that reveal. And he talks about, like, when he saw that in the script ahead, a couple episodes ahead, how he sort of uh, refigured what he was doing with the performance to accommodate that. And I was like, yeah, I guess not me not knowing ahead of time some of what was coming, there is more going on with mm-hmm. uh, the performance yeah. than I had realized. Yeah, yeah, I, I would definitely say I felt the same way. Um, and I thought that it was just very well handled and um, and kind of a plot twist I didn't see coming, even though when it happened, I was like, I should have seen that coming. That's how I felt. That's how what? I felt too. Right? And I was like, like, oh, of course. And then I was like, but I did not think that was going to happen. No, like I totally didn't see it coming, but it makes total sense. And so in a way, it's sort of like the anti-Melrose place. (laughs) Yeah. Where they're telegraphing things, you know, ahead of time. So you completely know what's happening. And you're still like, but why? (laughs) Unfortunately, yeah. (laughs) So, and, and I mean, just a shout out to the relationship between Frenchie and Kamiko that they're building on this season. I just think that that is one of the most beautiful, unrequited love stories on TV at the moment. I agree. Perhaps ever. Perhaps ever. um, The, you know, the different threads going on that make up the ensemble are 
all kind of unique. All are doing something I don't think we've seen before. So I really applaud them for that. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so yeah, so, so two boys. Up, we've got one more one more episode and then yeah. it's done for the season, which is a bit of a bummer because yeah, now sad. I'm really enjoying this. Um, but we do have one more episode to sort of see where they're taking this. Um, yeah, season. I can't wait to see what happens on the finale. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think Eric Kripke is one of our best uh, TV talents. I agree. I mean, you know, I, I am a huge, huge fan of his and um, give him all of the jobs. Yeah, I think he's really great at um, creating worlds, building them, and and knowing what to do with all the pieces on the canvas. Absolutely. So we salute you, the boys. We salute you, Eric Kripke. Um. So do you got? Do you have anything else? I don't think yeah, just real quick. I wanted to say we have Peacock, and you can now watch the newest Downton Abbey movie on Peacock. Um. So we saw that. I have um, Peacock too. July. I think I forgot to shut it off, so I'll probably need to watch that. So you might as well get your money's worth. Might as well get my money's worth. I am very curious. Was there a there was a movie in between the sh- episode the, the the TV show ending mm-hmm. and this movie right? Yeah, this is the second one. This the show watch- ran the show ran six seasons. Then there was one movie, and then there's the second movie. And what do were you, you going to ask? Do you need to watch the first movie to understand the second? Um, not really. There's uh-huh. like maybe one new or two new supporting characters that don't do a ton but you won't have met them if you didn't watch the movie but it doesn't really matter okay and then my other question i kind of felt like oh this again when i heard that they were doing it is it nice to be back in this world or are we feeling like it's it's over and they need to let it go it's a little of both really but i think it was nicer it could just be because I still I just saw it, but I think I may have liked this one more than the first movie. Oh, okay. It's a bit more playful. Um, maybe there's a little bit more surprise to it. As opposed, I don't know if there was anything surprising in the first one, um, but it's it's fun. Uh, so essentially. Maggie Smith has inherited a villa down in the south of France from a long ago Paramore, like 1864 Paramore. Um, (laughs) And so half of the family goes to the south of France because they have to meet the, the widow and the son of this man who has bequeathed it to Maggie Smith. Um, And then the other half of the family essentially stays and most of you know the servants stay at Downton where a silent film is going to be filmed at okay. using their estate. And it's actually like, just like Singing in the Rain, it's very like a dawn of the talkies kind of storyline that happens. Okay. So, so like Mary is still in England, um, but Edith is down. Uh, on the Cote du Jour, um, and you know, like, what's his name? Hugh Bonneville and Elizabeth McGovern. They're down in France. Maggie Smith is still in England. That that sort of thing. Gotcha. Um, and it's cute. You know, my thing with the show is, after a while, I cared much more about the downstairs cast than the upstairs cast. So yeah. to me, they still have all of like the gems. And I'm gonna. 
I'm going to slightly spoil one thing for you. Not about okay. this movie in particular, but in the first movie, Imelda Staunton is introduced as a character. And mm-hmm. she's back in this. So she and her real-life husband, Jim Carter, are in the movie together. And they even get a very cute scene, just the two of them. They are not a couple in the movie, obviously. But they they find a way to shoehorn the two of them in together for, for one scene even. And it's actually very sweet. That's cute. So I'm curious, because I actually never even finished watching the series... Did Lady Mary ever get married? She did, and it was kind of the crummiest running storyline they had in the last season or two, her, like, hunt for a new husband. Um, But her husband is not really in this movie, because he's played by someone who I think was off filming a Paramount Plus series, so he couldn't be in this (laughs) movie. He was busy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, there isn't really a good reason given for him not being in the movie, and so uh, they just sort of uh, build a story around it. Gotcha. That's really funny. So she's not divorced? No, not divorced. She did find her husband. Yeah. She is remarried and still married and only widowed the one time and not divorced. Fantastic. But um, it's a, I th- it was a good amount of, of fan service without being too much. Okay. So, I mean, I guess worth watching if you have... Totally, totally worth watching. If you already have it on, one, on the streaming platform, yeah, you might as well watch it. It's like exactly two hours, I think. Um, and very diverting. I you... definitely liked it. I think there will be a couple more of them yeah, before they just say, stop. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think there will be more? Yeah, I don't know if... I see a ton, but I bet there's maybe two more. Okay. Okay. Because it just feels like a lot of again and again and again. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just feels like, it just feels like, aren't we done yet? That's because movies has become the new TV. So now we have episodes. I guess. Or, or actually like, and, and there's a lot of crossover because like, Peaky Blinders is going to be a, a movie like th- this last oh, is season. It? Yeah, so apparently this last season is all a lead up to a movie uh, version. But is that, that going, going to be to like finish the story? A theatrically released movie? I do not know. Okay, I do not know. As opposed to like, and then on Netflix you can also watch. I think a it two would, hour finale kind of. I would thing. imagine it would be like on Netflix. Here, let me see if I can Google that. Um, but it just sort of. Oh no! Oh my goodness! Um, this, uh, Peaky Blinders concluded its TV run across six seasons. Is it um, already done? Oh, done? Da, 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 da. Um, this is the last season that's on that's that's running on on Netflix right now. Um, hold on. Movie is in development. I'm sorry. This is like one of those things where it's just like blah 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 flushed out. Um. Oh, come on. Just give me the information. The former... Okay, so... Uh, you fix elsewhere. A virtual reality experience, a ballet performance, and an alcohol beverage is coming. Um, what? Yeah, I know, right? There's something called Peaky Blinders The Rise, which opened in June in London. It's an immersive show. There's an... Wow. Wow, they're a whole enterprise. They are a whole enterprise. Who knew? Um, 
So apparently it's, there is going to be this immersive interactive show in London, which actually might be really fun if they did it outside. Um, but there is supposed to be a film, which I guess is still kind of being talked about it, but yeah, it says it's definitely last chapter of Peaky Blinders tale will take place on film, Hmm. but it doesn't, there's no real information about where it's going to release. Well, someday we'll know. But we'll either know way, it, it sounds out. like that sounds like that's the the end game. Right. So the end game is going to be um, some sort of uh, film, and it makes sense to put it on Netflix or wherever it aired but like who knows yeah we'll see we shall see who knows so i guess i guess maybe this sort of like falls in line with it could also fall in line with what netflix has been doing like with what they did with stranger things with holding off the final two episodes and i understand the final two episodes were also longer like movie yeah but i think Ultimately, that was not a Netflix choice. I think that was the Duffer Brothers didn't have their act together. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> it sounds like they were editing it up until, up until the, the day it was released. Yeah. All right. All right, because there could be that. All right. But yeah, one day we will um, have all caught up on Stranger Things and, and we'll weigh in on it for you guys because I know it's had a billion views, so people probably want to people hear something about it. it. People are watching um, it. Yeah, and just a heads up as we close out that we won't be recording next week um, because I'll be I have a couple conflicts and then I'm on the road, so we just won't have time to do it for you guys. So you have not one but two weeks to let us know anything you want us to cover. So hit us up on Back on the Block Pod on Facebook to let us know. And everybody gets a break on Melrose Place because we all need one. <laughs> it is wearing us out. It sure is. If you want to know why, you though, you have to listen to the other one. Indeed. All right, y'all. I'm out. I'm going to bed. All right, you guys. Have a great two weeks. Karen, get some rest. And uh, we will be back in two weeks to talk about all the culture you can stand on the boulevard. Bye. <laughs>